Uh, the rest of us hanging out here this morning, you can uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at verses 21 to 26. That passage is also printed for you uh, in your bulletin as well. Um, I will never forget uh, sitting in a restaurant in Fort Worth, Texas with my wife Erin. Uh, this was a number of years ago, we were visiting family, we had gotten away for a quick lunch, just my wife and I, and this is this early on in our marriage, and um, she looked across the table at me and she said, you seem angry. And what she meant by that was not that I was angry about a specific thing, but, but she meant angry in general, uh, the worst kind of meaning. She, she was saying that I was an angry person. And that was... Literally the first time that, that I realized that no matter how calm or how kind I can maybe be on the outside, uh, that inside my heart is really angry, and it just finds ways to be better. Um, the passage that we're looking at this morning is about how serious our anger is. Uh, we're doing a series in the Sermon on the Mount right now, which is Jesus' most famous teaching. And in the previous passage, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, he just told us that the law of God is way more comprehensive than we thought. Um, it's not just some external rules that we need to follow, but there's actually, it deals with our internal motives, with our hearts as well. And then he, after he talks about the law in general, he begins to get really specific with different topics, which is the section of the sermon that we're entering into now. And the first thing he deals with is our anger. So let me read our passage for us. This is Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say that you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, um, oh, how we need your help this morning. Uh, we need your spirit to, to help us to understand what this means for us, to speak to our hearts. We want to know your truth, uh, less of us, more of you. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, last March, I went down to Albany, Georgia to run a marathon, and obviously, uh, you know, I, I, I feel the need to apologize when I talk about running, I apologize, it's such a part of my life, I know it hurts me, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. So I was down in Georgia to run a marathon, a lot of prep goes into the marathon training, so as you can imagine, when you get to the starting line of the race, you're kind of like bubbling over with anticipation and expectation of like what might happen in that day. And, um, you know, you can put all these hours of, of training in and, and, and like put a lot of heart into it, and now, now it's go time. It's time to do it. And so I'm at the starting line for this race in Georgia. Immediately, the starting gun goes off. The lead car leads us out, and immediately the lead car takes a right. And so all this is packed, and then we follow the car. We take a right. We go about half mile down the road. And so you're kind of just like settling in. I mean, the race is just starting. You're thinking, all right, 
How am I feeling? Am I feeling mentally tough? Physically, how am I doing? Is this going to be a good day, bad day? You're just kind of checking in and beginning the race. And sure enough, we're about a half mile down the road, and this guy comes speeding up behind us on a four-wheeler, and he starts screaming, You're going the wrong way! You're going the wrong way! And of all the things that you expect that might happen when you're running a marathon, this is not one of them. And so it, 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 it took a few moments for us to actually realize what had happened. But the lead car had led us almost a half mile in the wrong direction. And so it was like the opposite direction. So we literally just had to stop in our tracks and turn around and then start running the other way to get back on the proper course. And you may be thinking, look, you're running 26.2 miles. What's an extra half mile? But like if you're trying to meet a certain time or you have a goal for the day, I mean, that can be like a total deal breaker as it ended up being for a lot of people. It can devastate your entire race. And as you can imagine, some of the people running that race were very angry about this mistake that the, that the race leaders made. And there was a guy that was running next to me. Um, and as we kind of turned around and settled in what had happened in this race, he just went off. He started yelling and saying all kinds of things that, that certainly can't be repeated up front at church. His, <laughs> he was so angry. I looked over at one point. His, his head was turning red. And it looked like his head was about to explode. He was so angry. And, and, and he was just, he was devastated by what had happened. And, you know, I kind of looked over at him and, and, I, and I just thought, man, I, I don't want to do that. Because that will ruin my race for sure. So I, I tried to stay really positive and really stay calm and, and just stay focused on the race. And honestly, I was a little bit proud of myself about how I handled that whole thing. And I wasn't, you know, popping off like this guy next to me was. However, two weeks ago, I got an email from the race director of this race, and it offered 50% um, off the entry fee for this coming year because of the mistake that they had made. And without even thinking about it, um, I had replied to the email, which is never a good idea. And I responded in a very short, not kind way that this was not nearly enough to make up for the massive mistake that they had made a year ago at this race, and I would not be coming back. And I hit seven. And within a couple hours, the race director responded to me in a very kind, very gracious way where I was instantly convicted. And I looked at the work that I had written, and it was proof. There it is. Here's my anger coming out. I was so proud to not be like the, the angry guy running next to me during the race, but here I was, nine months after the fact, firing off this angry email at this race director. Um, Anger can show itself in a lot of different ways. And Jesus speaks into our anger in this passage. Three headings we'll think about it this morning. We're going to look at the seriousness of our anger, the heart behind our anger, and then how to deal with our anger. First, let's look at the seriousness of our anger. Jesus addresses this in verses 21 and 22. He says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, this is a key phrase that Jesus is going to use over and over again. You have heard that it, what it, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Remember, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, um, were trying to limit or minimize the standards of God's law. So they would misinterpret God's law to make it very doable. We talked about how they would lower the standard for themselves and raise it for everyone else. That's what they're doing here with this. 
They knew the sixth commandment. They knew that you shall not murder. And strictly speaking, they were good. They hadn't actually killed somebody else. But Jesus says there is a deeper meaning to this law that rather than simply being a standard of not killing someone else, it's actually a much higher standard of not having anger in our hearts toward another person. He says not just murderers will be judged, but so will people with anger in their hearts. So will people who insult others. So will people who belittle others. And he talks about these practical consequences and judgments for, for murder and for anger and acting on our anger. But the ultimate judgment that he's talking about here is our condemnation before God. Our sinful anger is enough to condemn us before God. It's that bad. Now, quick qualifier. Um, this is not saying that all anger that we experience is bad, or that all anger in general is bad. Um, God's wrath against sin is a form of holy and pure anger. That's actually a good, pure anger, God's wrath. Jesus' anger, if you've read the Gospels, or the scene where he goes into the temple and they're exchanging money, selling things, he flips over tables, he gets angry. That's an example of righteous anger, good anger. And according to Ephesians, which is one of our passages that we use for confession this morning, there is a way in which we can um, be angry and not sin. So there, there is righteous anger. There's a good anger that is out there. However, the anger that we experience is rarely that. It's rarely the righteous anger. More often than not, it's sinful anger. That in the words of the commentator John Stott, is a desire to get rid of someone who stands in our way. My first job out of college, working in the warranty department of a home builder in Texas. So after our customers would move into their new homes, we had all these warranties and all the work that we did on the houses. And um, there was one neighborhood that I worked in where I started getting calls from multiple homeowners that had just moved in. And all these calls started having a theme to them. They would say, you know, get all these cracks above my doorways, get some cracks above my windows, have those in the driveway out front, that newly poured driveway, start to get some cracks in it in weird spots. And so we would try to like address the symptoms. We'd have you know, the sheet rockers go patch up the walls, just doors, windows, we get sections of driveways being poured that were cracking, but it just kept happening again and again. After a few months of research, we realized that underneath these houses, the composition and makeup of the soil was such that it would expand and contract drastically with moisture. So if it rained a ton, it would, it would expand, like sometimes by as much as seven inches. And that soil was so powerful, it was moving parts of the house and causing all of these cracks. Um, it proved to be a much, much bigger problem than we realized. According to Jesus, our anger is a much bigger problem than we realize. Um, the heart behind our anger is the same heart that is behind the act of murder. And if left to ourselves, we deserve God's judgment because of it. Our anger is serious. Um, let's zoom in a bit more on the heart behind our anger. A lot of times when we think of someone being angry, we think of uh, Rage Monster from Dude Perfect. Um, Rage Monster is a character in the Dude Perfect stereotype series. 
play by tie where there's something in, in whatever the video is about that just really frustrates him and really annoys him. You can see him, the, the camera will kind of zoom in on his face. You can see him in the back of his clothes. And when he does, it's always amazing. Like there'll be a hammer lying on the table, he'll get the hammer and start bashing holes in the wall. Or there's some other chainsaw lying around, he'll get the chainsaw and start cutting things up. Or he'll bash up a car and light something on fire. But it's just like total rage, explosive anger. And, and that's often what we think of when we think of anger. There are a lot of other ways that anger can show itself. How does anger show itself? Verse 22 gives us this general category of anger, and there are some specifics mentioned in verse 23, um, insults and, and calling someone a fool. And some commentators will kind of divide these up as, as different expressions of anger, where one is like referring to insulting someone's intelligence, um, like calling someone stupid or calling someone an idiot. That's sort of the equivalent of what they would say that's talking about. The other could be referring to like insulting someone's character, basically saying someone is totally worthless. Both are these outward expressions of anger. But how, how about this more general category of anger? How does it show itself? Um, here are some expressions of anger that we may not always think of as anger. And you can kind of, we can all use this for self-reflection about our own anger. So, um, resentment. Resentment is a form of anger. Bitterness. Uh, being really annoyed or agitated be a form of anger. Uh, being sulky or pouty is a form of anger. Uh, being really abrasive or aggressive. Being passive aggressive is a form of anger. Um, distancing or withdrawing or giving silent treatment or cutting someone off, that's a form of anger. Being really contentious, chronically frustrated. <coughs> um, our humor can show our anger when we use a lot of like sarcasm, real cutting humor against others. Being critical, being impatient can be a form of anger. Being really stubborn in our ways, uh, griping or complaining about something. Um, even gloating in victory can be an expression of anger. Um, the psychotherapist Les Carter in his book, The Anger Trap, he sort of fleshes a lot of these out. And he says that there, there are three common ways that we tend to mishandle our anger. He talks about how we tend to suppress our anger. You know, and you kind of get the image of like trying to hold a beach ball down underneath the water where you have to really struggle to keep it down. Eventually that thing's going to pop out some way. So we can try to suppress our anger. We can be openly aggressive. This is like the image of the guy running next to me in the race or the rage monster where it's just kind of aggressive anger. Or there's passive aggressive expressions of anger. You know, maybe an example of this would be, again, totally, totally hypothetical, but let's say you know, some of your family leaves their shoes and you're not supposed to leave their shoes. And instead, and it makes you feel things. You don't feel good about the fact that they leave their shoes on. So you take the shoes and you put them right in the middle of the stairs. So they can't avoid the stairs when they're going up. That's very hypothetical. But that would be an expression of passive aggressive forms of anger. But, and, he, and he says that, 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 that you know, when we suppress our anger and we don't deal with it in a healthy way, it can often lead to like... Lots of anxiety or even depression or panic attacks. It, it can lead to all different kinds of things. Anger is actually really complex. And it shows itself in a lot of different ways. Often we need someone outside of ourselves, um, like my wife, across us at lunch, um, or someone like a counselor or a mentor, kind of speaking into what that looks like in us that we can't see in ourselves. Um, you can think about it maybe like an iceberg. 90% um, of an iceberg is below the surface. 
And you just kind of see the top 10% of the iceberg and think, okay, I can you know, deal with that. But there's like, the majority of it is below the surface. Um, and so if you really want to deal with it, you've got to go below the surface. Think about like peeling layers of an onion back. You know, we've, we've peeled one layer back to say, all right, anger is not just external rage. We've peeled it back to say it can be things like resentment or being abrasive or using sarcasm, all those different expressions we talk about. Let's peel back one more layer of that onion and ask, what's going on beneath the surface of our anger in our hearts? Only God knows the heart. We have to tread lightly. Uh, scripture says our hearts are deceptive, that, that they're hard to understand. But there are some uh, common heart-level themes when it comes to our anger. Because our anger can actually really reveal what's going on in our hearts. Uh, one thing that anger can show is our need for control. It can show our need for control. Um, last year I was flying somewhere, had a long layover. The flight was significantly delayed and it really messed up everyone's travel plans were on this flight. And, I was, and we, where we had to go, like, maybe get rebook, all that stuff. So I was standing in line at the ticket counter, and there was a guy right in front of me, and, and when I was right behind him, he was talking to the, the ticketing agent, and he just went off. He started belittling her. He started blaming her for the delay, but it was literally because of the weather. But he was making it her fault, and, you know, what, was, what situation was he in? This guy had a plan. He probably set his, booked his travel himself. And now all of a sudden his travel was outside of his control and that thing happened was not what he wanted to happen. And what was his response? Anger. Anger can show our need for control. Even if we don't think of ourselves as controlling people, anger can often reveal otherwise. If we can't control something, if it doesn't go our way, what's response? Ugh. Anger. What else might be below the surface of our anger? It might be something like fear. Anger can reveal what we fear. If we live with the fear of being rejected by somebody else, then anything at all that feels like that person rejecting us, it can make us angry. Uh, it can be something like a, a, a bad review at work. Maybe you sit down with your supervisor and, then, and it's not a good review. Maybe they're just trying to get some feedback uh, on, on your performance at work, but, but our hearts can interpret that as rejection, as a response, as anger at the boss or at the company. Um, whether you fear rejection, fear not measuring up, or whatever it may be, fear can actually show itself in anger. Control fear, what else might be below the surface? Pain might be below the surface of our anger. Uh, Les Carter says that angry people are hurt people. He says anger is a reflection of a deep wound that longs to be healed. Which I can say is 100% the case for Undealt with wounds are a source of our anger. I remember hearing a counselor say one time, he said, if you want to stop sinning, I was like, go on. <laughs> he said, if you want to stop sinning, learn how to be sad. He went on to say that, you know, anger is a surface emotion, and there's always stuff happening below the surface. And he said that expressing sadness that is below the surface with, with the pain that we've experienced can actually bring healing to that pain, he says, sadness is actually a healing emotion. Which, you know, when you read the Psalms, it really begins to make sense, uh, because so many Psalms are Psalms of lament, of crying out, of grieving how things are not supposed, they're, they're not the way they're supposed to be. 
um, that can kind of give us a voice for our sadness. So learning to be sad, learning to lament, learning to acknowledge our pain is actually a way that God can bring healing to our anger. Another counselor said that uh, we either process our pain or we pass it on. And, and if we don't process our pain, you know, a lot of times it'll get passed on just by our anger. Control, fear, pain. What else might be below the surface of our anger? Uh, it might be exposing our idols. Anger can expose our idols. Um, Tim Keller says that anger is energy released defending something you love. Um, our anger reveals what we love because we're defending it. And we intuitively kind of understand this. Let's say, you know, the soccer coach is yelling at your child, and maybe that soccer coach is being too harsh with your child, and as a parent, you sort of like bow up a little bit. You think, hey, that's my kid you're talking to there, you know? You just can't help but You love your kid. You want to defend your kid. Anger is defending what you love. This happens with our idols as well. Idols are anything that we love more than God. You know, we were made to love God, first and foremost, and idols something that we love more than Him. And if that thing gets threatened, we can get angry in response to it. So if we idolize power, um, we'll get angry when the idol of power is threatened and we're passed over for that promotion. If we idolize comfort, we will get angry when that idol is threatened and a needy child disrupts our time of relaxing in the evening. Um, if we idolize being accepted by others, we will get angry when that idol is threatened and there's any hint of being left out by other people. Um, if we're honest, our, our hearts can be a real mess. And, and there's so much going on in our hearts that's underneath our anger. It might be a need for control, fear, pain, idolatry. And, and we've all experienced some way in which our anger has hurt other people. We've all been hurt by others' anger at some point. Um, and and, and we, we know the damage it can cause. Our anger can leave our family members or roommates walking on eggshells around us, trying not to set us off. Um, it can leave a wake of destruction in relationships. It can leave lifelong wounds. We've given that. We've received that. Um, you can actually see that this is the sin that leads to murder. Uh, one writer says that our anger kills the souls of others. To you. You can see how the damage of a chronically angry parent with a child over a lifetime kills the souls of others. One spouse chronically angry at another spouse kills the souls of others. What's the way forward? What's the way forward? How can we deal with our anger? Jesus gets really practical here. Look at verse 23. He says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him, with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penalty. Um, when our anger has damaged a relationship, what should we do? We should seek reconciliation. That's what's being described here. Verses 23 and 24 describes when going to the temple to make an offering to God. It says that if you're there and you remember that someone has something against you, go and reconcile before you make that offering. And commentators actually differ here on whether the person making the offering is the offender 
or the offended can be a bit confusing based on the language and the context there. Um, but the bigger point is this. If something is off, go try to make it right. Make it a priority to do so, especially if this is a brother or sister in the faith. And then verses 25 and 26 describes someone who's been legally accused. It's a legal situation. They're in the process of going before the court together. And, and, and he says, deal with the situation as quickly as possible. It will only get worse if you try to ride this thing out. This is like referring to someone outside of the faith. What's the point? Don't let the anger fester. Don't let the rift grow. Go to them. Address it as much as you can. Try to reconcile. And you can't control the other party. Romans 12, 18, we confessed it earlier. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In the words of a friend, he says you can only control your side of the street. So on your side of the street, seek reconciliation. And zoom out for a minute and think about what you're doing when you seek reconciliation. If anger is an act of murder, then reconciliation is an act of love. Anger destroys, reconciliation heals. Tim Keller says that anger tries to expose and strip the other person to make them look terrible. Love, however, refuses to pay back and deliberately seeks to put the other person in the best light. So the, the reconciliation that Jesus is recommending here is a step towards love. Uh, it's a willingness to put the sword down rather than to harm the other person. It's a way towards restoring what was broken, to, towards bringing healing to what has been wounded. And Jesus says to prioritize reconciliation. And it's probably the most difficult thing to do in a human relationship, period. Uh, because to... to to set aside our anger is to set aside our pride. Uh, it's to set aside our desire to be right, our desire to win. To set aside our defensiveness, to set aside our um, all of that, and just be willing to absorb the hurt of the situation. And so the only way that we can really truly be reconciled to one another is if we've been reconciled to God. Um, you know that the consequence of our rebellion against God, our sin, it's that His wrath and His pure and holy anger must be poured out on sin. God is so good and so holy and so pure and sin is so bad and it ruins everything. It ruins God's people. It ruins God's world. And so His wrath must be poured out on evil and on sin. Um, our anger is often misdirected, selfish. It often says more about our love for self rather than the love of others. God's anger, His wrath, actually shows us how much He loves us. Remember, anger is energy released defending something you love. God loves you. God loves His world. God loves His name being known and glorified and set apart. And anything that threatens that must have His wrath poured out on it. But this anger was not poured out on us. Though we deserve it to be poured out on us. Instead, God provided a substitute for us. Jesus Christ, His Son, to absorb His wrath in our place. Um, for God to be truly loving and truly just, He had to execute judgment on sin. He had to pour out His wrath. But instead of showing us His wrath, He put it all on His Son on the cross. Jesus absorbed all of God's holy anger for us so that we can be reconciled to God.
You may have heard the name Travis Kelsey, football player. He's been in the news a lot lately. Um, Travis Kelsey has a brother who has not been in the news as much lately named Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey is also an NFL football player, which is crazy. They played against each other in Super Bowl last year. Jason is the center for the Philadelphia Eagles. He has played 13 seasons. He's an amazing character. But uh, the center is the one that snaps the ball to the quarterback, so they're on the offensive line. So um, every single play of Jason Kelsey's 13 seasons that he's been in the game, he's snapped the ball to the quarterback, and then he has stoned into that defender right from um, he is in the rare position of every single play that he is in a game, he is slamming into someone right in front of him. And what is he doing? Every time he absorbs that blow from that defensive lineman or that linebacker that he's blocking, what's happening? The quarterback behind him or the running back behind him is not having to absorb the blow. 13 years, every single play, absorbing, absorbing every single blow. Also that the quarterback and the running back don't have to. Um, Jesus has absorbed all of God's wrath for us so that you and I don't have to. He took all the blows of God, God's wrath on the cross so that you and I don't have to, so that you and I can be protected from it. Why? Because He loves us. And it's when our hearts really grasp this that we can be reconciled to God and then begin to be reconciled one another. But our hearts have to be transformed. And this good news, it transforms our hearts. It transforms our hearts in such a way that when we believe this, we begin to trust God. We begin to trust that He's the one in control, that He's writing the story. So when things feel out of control for us, we don't have to get angry. We can actually surrender to Him and trust that He's doing something better. Um, when this good news really gets a hold of our hearts, it gets down into our fears. And so we no longer have to fear things going a certain way because we know that His love casts out fear. And he's got us, and whatever he has is good. Um, it can seep in to our pain, where we begin to see our pain as things that are being healed and redeemed and restored by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we can begin to deal with our pain and our story in a healthy way because Jesus has promised to walk into that valley with us. And so we're no longer angry when our pain is dealt with. Um, when Jesus, when this good news gets into our hearts, our hearts are filled with him, the other idols that are in our hearts begin to not have room to be there. So they begin to crumble. And Jesus is reigning in our hearts. This is saying that, that, that in Christ you, you really can become a non-angry person. You can become a loving person. Our church family can become a non-angry community. A loving community. And this means that we can be forgiven for every single angry thing that we have said or done. Um, Jesus, the one who absorbed God's wrath so that you don't have to, offers himself in love to you today. Won't you receive him by Let's pray again. Father, thank you for this good news that there's hope for angry people like us. That we don't have to try to fix this on our own, but you've promised out of your love, to transform our hearts in this work that maybe feels like it's in C4 right now. We feel like we have so much need to grow. You promised to bring that work to completion. You're going to. You're going to make good on that promise. Give us hope. Give us gospel, Jesus-like hope that we will be made new. 
that we can reconcile to you, and therefore we can be reconciled to one another. Father, would you go there into our neighborhood? Would you bring in loving voices, kind voices that we have ears to hear that can help us in that journey? Father, would you prepare us to meet you now at this table? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.